I want everybody to, um, to, you could do this with one hand or two hands, but just raise your hand up like this or like this. See, it's okay to raise your hands in church. <laughs> Jesse told me a story uh, this week, and I thought it was, it was good. I just wanted to share it with you. When he was a kid, he remembers the, this one time his pastor was teaching the congregation about why do we raise our hands sometimes in worship. And sometimes when we're singing and praying, we raise our hands because we're feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit and we're responding to him with uplifted hands. But sometimes uh, it's like when you have little toddlers running around and they want picked up, what do they do? They run up to you and they do this. And sometimes they say, uppies, 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 right? So sometimes when we are raising our hands in worship, it's in response to feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's because we're communicating to God, uppies, uppies. We are inviting him to come and hold us and be near us and inviting his presence into our experience this morning. And so that's why we raise our hands in church. It is okay, I promise. Um, let's, let's find in our Bibles Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16. Uh, we're going to continue our series through uh, some of the Messianic Psalms, which are Psalms of Jesus. And while you're finding Psalm 16, I have a couple of announcements. Uh, on January 30th, that's a Sunday evening, at 5.30, we're going to have Remove the High Places night. Uh, we're going to be giving out the books. So if you ordered a book, um, bring your $5 for the book. If you don't have $5 or that's a, a, a hardship for you, don't sweat it. Just come and get your book. We'll provide that no cost. Um, but we're going to give the books out. We're going to talk about what this 63-day spiritual journey is, what the spiritual disciplines are, why we're doing this, um, and we're going to kind of set it up and explain it on the 30th. Uh, the program actually starts in February, uh, but we're going to do this a couple of weeks early and, and kind of get our minds around what we're doing. And let me just say, if you are unsure about this uh, spiritual journey, this exercise, these disciplines, and you're not sure that you can sustain them or do them, uh, don't feel, we're, we're not legalistic about this, right? I want to say that consistency is more important than intensity, so it's more important to, to bite off a piece that, uh, that's big enough that you can chew consistently than to bite off more than you can chew and then give up. So if you need to scale it back or adjust it or adapt it to fit your specific needs, feel free to do that. So uh, for example, one of the... One of the disciplines is to abstain from social media, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all these things. For 63 days, no social media. Now, I haven't been on social media for over a year. I, I decided that my mental health couldn't sustain it a little over a year ago, got off of all my social media, my mental health greatly improved. But that's one discipline that doesn't necessarily apply to me. It might apply to you. It might not apply to you. There might be other things in there that apply or don't apply. So we're going to adjust it, tailor it, make it fit you and where you're at and where the Lord is leading you. Uh, but don't let something that sounds a little scary keep you from engaging. Engage at the level that you can and the Lord will meet you there and bless you for it. Um, also, in a, a few weeks, there on February 5th, that's a Sunday, uh, Saturday, I think, February 5th, there is um, the No Regrets Men's Conference. And so I think there are 25 tickets uh, available for that. Guys, if you want to go to that, you can contact Mark Crijan, and his information is right up there, and he will get you all the information you need uh, if you would like to go to that conference. 
Um, I think that's all the announcements that I have. Um, so let's read Psalm 16, and then we'll jump into this text. Psalm 16, I'm reading from the ESV translation. Uh, it says this, A mitkam of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my heart also instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm. That means it's about Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit about that. The sermon's going to be formatted just a little bit differently today. Psalms are prayers and songs. And so um, as we're working our way through this text, we're going to pause at various points to stop and pray or sing or uh, respond to God's word in some way. And I wasn't here in person last week, so uh, usually I have three points in my sermon, but I'm making up for lost time this morning. I have five, Um, but they'll go quickly. They'll go quickly. The, The focus or the question For this morning, really the heart of what this psalm is saying comes from the first four verses. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And especially look at verse 2. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. See, what David is basically saying in those verses is, God, without you, I have nothing good. I have no good thing apart from you. Now, how can David, King David, say that? He, has, he lives in a palace. He has soldiers. He has guards. He has horses. He has chariots. He has wives, he has sons, he has wealth, he has all this good stuff, how can he say, without God, I have nothing good? The question that I would have for us is, how can we say that? Uh, Is that true? Is that statement, God, without you, I have nothing good, is that true in your life? Is that true of where your heart is? And I know the good Sunday school answer is, yes, that's true. God is the only source of my goodness. But, and, and let's just, for a minute, just take off the plastic Sunday school face and, and look at and examine your heart and your motives for real. You don't have to raise your hand. But how often in life do we hedge our bets with God? See, the, the Israelites, 
were guilty a lot of, they had Yahweh, the God of Israel, that they worshiped in the temple, and then they also had the high places throughout the land that they would go and worship the false gods of the surrounding cultures because they were hedging their bets. They wanted God to help them, and they also wanted, in in case God was like busy doing something else, they wanted these other gods to be on their side too. Because if all the gods are on our side, oh, we're we're covered either way. If, If Yahweh, our God, helps us, great, but if he's busy, doing something else and maybe Baal or, or Asherah or somebody else will help us. And, and that's the way that they did. They hedged their bets. I think sometimes we do that. We say, look, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I, I have received Christ as my Lord and Savior. Yes, God is, is everything to me, but so is my career. So is my family. So is my health. So is this. So is that. I'm hedging my bets so that one way or another, I will find satisfaction in life, right? And, and I want us to get to the point where we can say with David, God, without you, I have nothing good. I might have a beautiful family. I might have a ton of money in the bank. I might live in a huge mansion. I might drive all these fancy cars. I might have this, 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 and this. But without God, I have nothing good. Nothing. How can we get there? Why would we say that? How can we say that? How can we essentially put all of our eggs in God's basket? When you uh, invest, they say the most important, three most important words of investing, diversify, 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 right? Um, Just like real estate, location, location, location. Investing is diversification, but not with God. With God, diversifying is a bad idea. We need to put all of our hope in Jesus, all of our eggs in God's basket, and throw everything to him. So how do we do that? How can we do that? Why would we say that? That's kind of the idea behind the passage this morning, and Psalm 16 shows us five reasons why. The first one is this. We can say, without you, I have nothing good because God is our portion. Jesus provides for us. In the first four verses, David basically prays, God, I am yours. I'm not chasing after the other gods. I'm not pouring out their blood offerings. I'm not doing any of that. God, I am all yours. And then in verses five and six, he prays, God, and you are mine. See, in verse five, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I am yours and you are mine. That's the prayer. God himself is our portion and our inheritance. God the Father doesn't just give us stuff. He doesn't just give us good cars to drive, good houses to live in, nice clothes to wear, enough food to eat, and a good job. He gives us those things too, but he actually gives us something far greater. He gives us himself. God gives us himself as our father to provide for us. He gives us the Holy Spirit uh, to live in us and lead us into his presence. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to give us life, to rescue us from death. God gives us himself. He is our portion. I am his and he is mine. He is our inheritance and our inheritance is good. Basically, what David is saying is, with God as your father, you have everything that you need. You will always have everything that you need. You might not always have everything that you want, but you will always have everything that you need because you have God 
as your father. That's why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, taught this. He said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No, they can't. In fact, modern science has shown that all our worries can actually take moments away from our life, right? Shorten our lifespan. Jesus says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And he goes on in verse 28. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. With God as your Father, you will always have everything that you need. Let's pause a moment and respond to God's word with a prayer of thanks. We're going to take just a moment and pray together, and this is going to be a corporate prayer where we read the words that are on the screen as we pray them together. And this isn't just so we can read them off, it's so that we can collect together our thanks toward God. That's why we do readings like this, and we don't do it a whole lot, but uh, sometimes like this, it's good to do them. So uh, pray this with me, if you would. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, in you alone do we find solace and strength. Today we pause to give you thanks for your goodness and loving kindness. Only in your presence do we know true and lasting safety. Only in relationship with you do we know goodness, satisfaction, and joy. With you, we have everything we could ever need. But apart from you, even our greatest wealth would count as nothing. In your son, you have made us a family, your family, by the blood of the new covenant. You have awakened us to eternal life. You will never forsake us or abandon us. You are our chosen portion, and we are yours. Lord, may your grace and nearness cause our hearts to overflow with gratitude that we might give ourselves wholly to you, serve you with joy, and walk in righteousness before you. Thank you for being mindful of us, for your immeasurable love toward us, for drawing us, for saving us, for keeping us, and for the hope of glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. We have nothing good without God because God is 
our portion. The second thing we learn from Psalm 16 is that God is also our counselor. Jesus gives us wisdom. In verse 7, David writes, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. God gives us himself as Father to provide for us, and he also gives us himself as Holy Spirit to be our counselor. The Holy Spirit speaks. The the moment that you uh, surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in your physical body. So God, the Holy Spirit, is living in you, ever-present with you. He speaks. We believe that the Holy Spirit still speaks. It's not just that God spoke at some point in history and recorded it in this book and then left us alone to figure out what the meaning and application is. No, God gave us himself as the Holy Spirit to speak and to guide and to open our understanding to his word. He, he directs us in life. He convicts us. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Now, he doesn't condemn us. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But he does convict us. He brings to mind those times that we've sinned against him so that we can repent. He leads us to repentance. He encourages us. He transforms us. He transforms us into the image of Christ. He makes us more like Jesus. That's a process that takes our whole lives. It's called sanctification. Big fancy word. It basically means the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus. That's what he does. That's his work in our life. And he guides us. He counsels us. He gives us wisdom. Now, I want to say something about uh, receiving direction and guidance and wisdom from God. Because no doubt you, like me, have experienced times in your life when you've prayed and asked God for guidance and he hasn't answered. And you say, well, I thought the Holy Spirit spoke to us. I thought he was our counselor. I thought he gave us wisdom. Why is God not giving me the guidance that I need? If you look at verse 8, we see a really important point in receiving wisdom from the Lord. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. What David is talking about is living life in God's direction. He is orienting his life toward God. He's not going through his life, pursuing his own agenda, looking for his own ends, trying to get his own, make his own way, and then asking God to bless his endeavors. It's not like David is driving to his own destination and then saying, hey God, which route has the least traffic? Which route avoids road construction? Because I want to get where I'm going as fast and as easy as I can. Now, that's not what he's doing. David is not driving toward his destination. He is driving toward God. God is always in front of him. His life is always oriented toward God. It's not about what I think that I want or my ambitions or my goals or me, 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 me. No, life is about God. God is our destination. We are pursuing God. And when you live life in God's direction, you will always have the wisdom you need when you need it. Now, I have experienced that God does not always give us guidance when it's most wanted, but he always gives us guidance when it's most needed. Uh, He doesn't always answer all the questions that I ask, but he answers the questions I need. He tells me what I need to know when I need to know it. Sometimes we don't hear God speak because we're looking for answers instead of looking for God. 
We're over here. I've got this challenge. I've got this trouble. I've got this, uh, this question. And where's the answer? Where's the answer? God, give me the answer. God, give me the answer. And I'm focused on the answer instead of pursuing God, setting the Lord always before us. And if we are sitting at the feet of Christ, making ourselves available to him, he will tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. He'll give us the answers we need to make the next step. And sometimes we don't hear him speak because we're seeking answers instead of seeking God. We need to set the Lord always before us. I, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. Um, I have family down in Houston, Texas area. And when I was a teenager, uh, we went down to visit them. And I drove on the Katy Freeway just outside of Houston, Texas. Um, now, anybody driven on the Katy Freeway? Yeah. So here's a picture. 26 lanes. 13 in each direction. Uh, now, um, why would my parents let a 16-year-old or 17-year-old kid drive on that? I don't know. It's a good experience. You can email them later and tell them they're crazy. Uh, but when I was a kid, it wasn't nearly that big. It did not have 26 lanes. It was much smaller. It only had 24 um, You know, and, and the Beltline kind of gives this a run for its money sometimes. But anyway, I was trying to think about this, and I, I imagine that you're on a freeway like this, and there's 13 lanes, and you're driving, and up ahead, there's a big green sign, a highway sign, and it says Jesus on it, big letters, Jesus. Now, if I'm driving on the freeway towards Jesus, I've got 13 lanes. Does it matter if I'm in this lane, or 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 this lane? You get the idea, right? I'm driving to Jesus. Does it matter what lane I'm in? Sometimes, but a lot of times it doesn't. Sometimes it does, and sometimes if I'm going to change lanes and I say, God, I want to move from this lane to this lane, is that okay? And I don't hear anything, and I'm like, why isn't God answering my question? And God's like, it doesn't matter. As long as you're driving toward me, you've got 13 lanes to choose from. Sometimes it does make a difference. Sometimes if I want to change lanes, I might not know that this lane actually exits the freeway and takes me off and turns me in a different direction. And so I say, God, I'm going to change lanes. Is that okay? And God says, no. I don't want you to change lanes. Oh, God doesn't care about me. I so wanted to move over to that other neighborhood because that house is much nicer. It would be much better for our family. Oh, God's our provider, but he doesn't care about me. No, he's keeping us on the right track. He'll tell you if you're going to make a change that's not a good one. But he doesn't always tell you this lane or this lane or this lane doesn't matter. Just pick one and drive. Sometimes when God needs you to change lanes, he'll tell you to change lanes. Uh, for instance, if he's like, I'm going to change your lane from uh, camp directors at Lake Wabisa Bible Camp to youth and children's ministry directors at Lakeview Church, God tells you to make that lane change, just like he did with Jesse and Joe and brought them here. right? So the point is, if you are driving on the freeway and God is in front of you and you're driving in God's direction, when God needs you to change lanes, he will tell you. And if you're about to change lanes and it's going to take you away from him, he will stop you or at least tell you no. right? And, and if you take the exit and get off, God is still with you. He'll guide you back onto the freeway so that you can get pointed back in the right direction. When you are living life in God's direction, you will always have the wisdom you need when you need it. You won't always have the answers that you want when you most want them, but you'll always know what you need to know because he will tell you. Let's pause and respond to this word with worship.
During first service, I couldn't get the song Life is a Highway out of my head after that. So we're going to sing that song. I'm just kidding. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. Thank you, Stephanie. Maybe at the end of the service we can sing the song we were cheated out of earlier. So God is our portion, God is our counselor, and uh, number three, without God we have nothing good because God is our savior. Jesus rescues us, 
Verses 9 and 10, therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. The Father is our provider, the Holy Spirit is our counselor, and the third person of the Trinity couldn't be left out, so the Son decided to become our Savior. These, uh, psalm 16 is a messianic psalm, which means it is quoted in the New Testament and applied to Jesus. Where this is quoted in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's poured out, people are speaking in tongues, um, um, Peter stands up to preach the first sermon of the church, the church was born that day, and he said, he quotes Psalm 16, and he applies this idea of not abandoning my soul to Sheol or the grave, not letting your Holy One see corruption, and he says this is a prophecy that was fulfilled in Christ. God the Father did not let Jesus' body decay in the tomb. He didn't abandon him in death, but he raised him up on the third day. Jesus is our Savior, and just like God did that for Jesus, he does that for us. And it's more than just uh, when we die, we're resurrected. Yes, that's amazing, but God also does not abandon our souls when we are approaching the gates of Sheol. When we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. He doesn't abandon us in our moment of need, in our crisis. He gives us life. And Jesus, through his death on the cross and resurrection, did what people have never been able to do since the beginning of time. He overcame death. People have been trying to figure out since the beginning of time how to overcome death, whether it's the, the magical fountain of life or whether it's buy my cream and rub it on your eyes so you can erase the uh, effects of aging or whatever it might be, right? We've been trying to figure out how to overcome death. Nobody's been able to figure it out except Jesus. I read in the news uh, this week that uh, there was a man who needed a heart surgery and he wasn't a candidate for a transplant, uh, so they took a pig heart and put it in him. Do you see that in the news? Uh, experimental procedure. Now, I sincerely hope that it works and that he gets uh, more years added to his life. But the, the story that I was reading, the, the commentator who was writing about it said, maybe this is the key to immortality at last. When our organs start to wear out, we'll just harvest them from animals and we'll put them in us. And if this works, this, this could be the key to humans living forever. And I was like, no, it's not. It's not. Only Jesus can overcome death. And he did. And he holds out everlasting life to everyone who would receive him as Savior. And that's what 91,000 plus people in Turkanaland have done. Watch this video. Dear Lakeview Church brothers and sisters, this is Sammy. I'm down here in Lubbock, Texas. I greet you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My sincere desire would be to see you in person and express my own gratitude and that of the Share International Board, our staff, and the thousands of men, women, youth, and children in Trukanaland, Kenya, and Toposaland, South Sudan, that the Lord has allowed you as a church body in partnership with us to touch and minister to directly or indirectly over the years. I believe many of you have either read or heard about or perhaps even witnessed in person 
all the marvelous things that the Lord has done, as only he can, among these people groups since Cher set foot in Trukanaland in 1997. Just to give you but a glimpse, by God's grace alone and with us serving together, we have reached 651 villages in Trukanaland. We have introduced Christ to 670,711 people and led 91,329 of them to faith in Christ the Savior. We have planted 503 churches in villages reached through our indigenous missionaries supported by donors like you. Cher has led over 500 Americans on the annual short-term outreach and relief missions or storm trips. Some of you have participated in STORM. We have baptized 14,481 believers, established 554 cell groups or lighthouses as we call them, which are led by 551 trained cell group leaders or as we call them, champions. We are ministering to 9,966 children in the Sunday school classes all across our 10 zones in Trukanaland and 1,060 students in our 30 adult literacy classes. Besides our 25 indigenous staff supported by SHARE, we also support 131 indigenous missionaries. And now the self-declared missionary tribe the Trukana believers have launched outreach into the neighboring Toposa tribe of South Sudan. We just commissioned 15 Trukana and five Toposa missionaries to reach the Toposa people. They have already identified 33 unreached villages. The disciple making movement or DMM is exploding among these underprivileged oral learners. With your support, we are supplying as many DMM tools, that is the solar audio Bibles, the signage bookmarks, projectors for screening the Jesus film and motorbikes for the indigenous missionaries and evangelists as fast as resources become available. We have even drilled a few water wells and fed many. My brothers and sisters, the souls that have been saved and the works of faith that have been performed among these people groups are among the treasures that you have stored and continue to store in heaven. May the Lord himself be your eternal reward. There are many more souls to be won for Christ. In 2022, let's join and strengthen our efforts all the more, both in person and through resources that the Lord has graciously entrusted to us and bring in as many sheep into the kingdom as we can, even as the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ draws even nearer. We need more financial resources to purchase more outreach tools and to support our faithful boots on the ground, our indigenous missionaries and evangelists. Thank you so much for standing with us over the years. May the will of God be done here on earth as it is in heaven through us that love our Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Hallelujah. God bless you all. God is our portion. God is our counselor. God is our Savior. Number four, if you're counting, uh, we can say that without God we have nothing good because God is our joy. Jesus gives us light in life. That comes from verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now let's take a trip back to middle school uh, English as language arts, ELA. Uh, and I want you to look at that verse. And I, I, 
I like the ESV translation because it's, it's pretty close to the way they, it's written in the original Hebrew text. Um, I want you to look at this verse. I don't know what version you're looking at, but look at it in the ESV. And look at the verbs. What tense are the verbs in? Past, present, or future? You make known to me. Is that past, present, or future? Present. You make known to me, present tense, the path of life. In your presence there is, present tense, fullness of joy. At your right hand are, present tense, right? The point that I'm making is this. We do not have to wait for Jesus to return to experience the fullness of joy in his presence. We can experience him right now right here. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. That's why we come out here. This Sunday morning service is not an infomercial to try to convince you to buy into Jesus so that you can get a timeshare in heaven. That's not what we're doing here. That's not the point of this. Now, we invite you to receive Christ, yes, because he's changed our lives. We want him to change your lives too. But the point of this is not an infomercial. Neither is this a pageant. That we come and through the actions of our pageant, we display and proclaim all the storyline pieces of the gospel and, and it's a big production every week. No, that's not what it is either. It's not a concert. It's not a pageant. It's not an infomercial. We come here together as God's children to experience his presence together, the fullness of joy in his presence, and then to respond by glorifying him as our God and Savior. That's what we do. That's why we do this on Sunday morning. That's the whole point. We don't have to wait for Christ to return. Eternal life begins the moment that we receive Christ as Savior. And so let's experience his presence together right now as we sing. All right, let's stand for this one.
Let's sing it one more time together. This time, let's change the word. Welcome to wanted. And let's sing it like we mean it to him. Last point, if you look at the first four things that we've learned from Psalm 16, God is our portion, God is our counselor, God is our savior, God is our joy, what do they all add up to? What's the final punch? I think you could summarize it in this last point. God is our life. We have nothing without God because Jesus is everything to us. And if we don't have God, we don't have life itself. Now, if you haven't been paying a whole lot of attention throughout, uh, this is probably the most important thing I'll say all morning. So if you can hang with me for about two minutes. Uh, There is a world of difference between God in your life and God as your life. Those are entirely different realities. And there are so many people that, that believe the Bible is true, that have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, and God is in their life. But God is not their actual life. God is in my life. I go to church. I do the Christian stuff. I believe. I've received Christ as my Savior. I'm a believer. But my life is my career, And getting ahead and advancing. My life is living vicariously through my kids' little league games and basketball tournaments. My life is my marriage. Or or, or finding somebody to be in a romantic relationship with because I'm nobody unless somebody loves me. Hogwash. Jesus loves you. You're everything. Right? Right? God is in my life. But my life is still wrapped up in these things. It's sunny out. I've got my boat. I'm going to go out on the lake and miss church this Sunday. Why? Because my life is wrapped up in this. It's my hobby. It's hunting. It's fishing. It's my career. It's my uh, leaving a good investment so that I have a good retirement for my kids to leave them. Uh, and an inheritance is whatever. God is, is in my life, but God isn't my actual life. And there is a, a world of difference between God in your life and God as your life. If we want God to be our portion, our counselor, our savior, and our joy, he must be our life itself. If you look at verse eight, 
David says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And I want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 26 says, at that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. If God is your life, your life cannot be shaken. All the things that you've made, your achievements, your house, your job, your career, your uh, cars, your this, your that, all that can be shaken because those are things that you have made, but God has not been made, and God cannot be shaken. If God is your life, your life cannot be shaken. That's why he concludes in verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If God is your life, your life cannot be shaken. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God will not leave you. You will not be shaken. You will have a hope. You will have a significance. You will have a purpose. You will have meaning in life that no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances of your life are, cannot be shaken off of you. But you only get that if God is your life. You don't get that if God is just in your life. You see, it's a difference. There is a, a world of difference. One of the commentaries on Psalm 16 that I read this week said, In God's presence, the insecurities of life do not just disappear, but we are empowered in him to find the path of life within and through those painful times when we seem to approach the very gates of hell itself. No, just because you give your life to Christ doesn't mean that you're not going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't mean that you're going to be rescued from all the hard things in life, but God will not be shaken and he will be with you and he will enable you and empower you to find the path of life in the midst of that valley, in the midst of that darkness because God cannot be shaken. And if he is your life, then your life cannot be shaken either. So the question that I wanna close with, is God your life? Or is God in your life? I didn't say, do you believe the Bible? I didn't say, have you prayed the sinner's prayer? I didn't ask that question. I didn't ask if you go to church or if you give money in the offering or any of those things or volunteer on occasion. Is God your life or is God in your life? Because those are night and day different. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would speak through your Holy Spirit to us, that you would reveal to us the orientation of our lives, the direction that we are living. And I will confess to you, Lord, there are times when I take a different lane that takes me on an exit off the freeway and I, I get into a different direction and I look ahead and I don't see that big green sign that says Jesus in front of me. And I am so thankful that in those times when I've been distracted and I've lived in a different direction, on a different path, you haven't left me. You haven't abandoned me. You haven't forsaken me. And when I cry out to you for help, you guide me back on so that I can be living in the right direction again. 
Lord, would you just impress upon our hearts where those areas of our lives are that we don't have you set before us continually so that we can confess that to you. And if there's somebody here who, who you've been in their life for a long time, but you're not really their actual life, Lord, I pray that you would convict them of that and that they would choose today to make you their life and receive you as provider, as their portion, as their counselor, as their savior, and as their joy, as everything. May we say with David, God, without you, I have nothing good. In Jesus' name, amen.